0: Hello, and welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. This is a place where we share how love can transform negative emotions and pain into strength. We talk about all things related to love, positivity, and kindness. And I am your host, Corinne Kamara. Welcome to episode 23 from Secondary Infertility to Birth Work. Dr. Sierra Bazell is a secondary infertility survivor, health and fertility coach, master herbalist, birth doula, and lactation educator. Sierra is a reproductive justice advocate, and she helps people by providing support to those dealing with infertility and adoption issues. In 2019, Sierra founded Faithfully Fertile Foundation which is an organization that provides education and grants to those who would like to start their families through reproductive assistance and adoption. In this episode, Sierra shares her powerful birth story, which led her down the path of becoming a birth worker. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast, and today we are talking to Sierra. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today.
0: (laughs) So you are all about the birth world, which is something I'm really passionate about. So I'm so excited to learn about your story and how you evolved in this work. So I always start out the podcast talking about the love lesson. So what in your life brought you to a place of extreme pain and transformation where you decided to take that experience and it became your life's work?
1: Right. So let's see, how much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's kind of a long story, but I'll make it short. In 2009, my husband and myself, we kind of just got pregnant with my oldest daughter, weren't really trying and everything went well. You know, we were college sweethearts. We were excited because we had gotten married like right after college. So it was kind of, you know, just what you do, right? You, you have a baby. Um, So I did lots and lots of research. I made sure that I had a midwife. I watched documentaries. I was ready to give birth. And then about, um, I want to say at the thirty eight week mark uh, because my daughter is, she was born November 4th. So about the 38 week mark, um, she kind of started running out of space. She was moving, but she wasn't moving as much. And then on my birthday, which is 11 days before she was actually born, she had not moved much at all that day. Uh, So I went to the doctor on my birthday and my midwife was like, Okay, she's running out of space. And if she hasn't come by her due date, which was November 2nd, and, um, then we're going to have to induce you. So November 2nd came and went and she still was not here. And they sent me to the hospital on the 3rd to be induced. Well, when I got there, I found out that I was already in labor, but they continue with the induction process anyway. And I went through all the pushing, all that fun stuff, natural labor, didn't have any drugs. And I started to push and then push, 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 nothing was happening. So the midwife told me to get on all fours. I push again, still nothing happening. And then she has this look on her face and I got kind of worried because, you know, (laughs) when people start looking funny and you're giving birth, you're like, what is happening? But again, I'm like, okay, you know, maybe it's fine. She's like, well, your baby's heart rate was dropping and she is face up. Uh, For those of you who don't know, babies are supposed to be head down, face down. She was head down, but she was face up. Um, So she said, I'm going to go get the doctor. At this point, I had been in labor for about 11 hours and I knew okay, this is going to be a C-section. Like, this, this is it. I did all of this for nothing. It's going to be a C-section. And sure enough, the doctor came in and they whisked me away and they did a C-section. Well, after I woke up and I was reunited with my husband and my baby, I found out that the doctor had found scar tissue uh, inside of me while she was in there. And she decided to take it upon herself to scrape it off without my consent. Um, And then she informed me that if I wanted to get pregnant again, I should do so right away. And, you know, for a person who just went through giving birth, had a very traumatic labor and has now had an unplanned C-section, you are saying you need to get pregnant right away what no (laughs) so um after the c-section my body kind of went crazy i couldn't eat anything without it coming out one way or the other um my digestive system was awful i felt nauseous every time i would eat about six months after giving birth i ended up with an ovarian cyst and a cyst on my right breast
0: wow and
1: it just seemed like my body was falling apart um (sighs) I went to the doctor and they were like, well, you know, we're just going to watch and see what happens. But I'm like, clearly something's wrong. My body's not functioning like it's supposed to. I'm just going to have to take it upon myself to do something about it. So, I changed my lifestyle, started eating organic and, you know, grass-fed, all the the good stuff that I'm supposed to eat. Um, and all of the cysts went away. So I was hopeful and positive. But when our daughter was about three, we started trying again and nothing was happening. A year went by, nothing was happening. At this point, I was now starting to have a lot of pain around ovulation. And I, again, went back to the doctor and said something's not right. And they said, no, no, you're fine. So we believed them that I was fine and we continued to try Now our daughter gets to be about five years old. Uh, We still don't have another baby. We go uh, and we see someone and he says, yeah, you have the eggs of a 46-year-old woman and due to the C-section that you had before, I'm not even gonna do any tests. You need in vitro, that's it, period, point blank, the end. Um, Of course, I didn't wanna hear that because, you know what am i supposed to do with that we can't afford to do in vitro at this point point. and i'm I'd, i had a baby before this is not supposed to happen um i ended up going back to the doctor that performed my c section and she sent me to a specialist who decided to actually go in and look and see if he could see anything. Um, He goes in to do a laroscopic surgery to see if he can possibly unblock my tubes um, because we did find out that they were blocked. And he says to me, after I wake up and find out that I have now lost my fallopian tubes, he says to me, Yes. (laughs) While I was in there, um, I found a lot of scarring near your fallopian tubes. One of them had opened. Um, I was able to do that naturally on my own, but he said the doctor, when she did your C-section, the way that she did it, I don't know what happened, but it caused your fallopian tubes to pull upward and turned backwards and fused to the front of your uterus. They were so far gone and stretched at this point that he could not save them. So in order to keep me from having an ectopic pregnancy, because now my right fallopian tube is open, he removed them. Um, And my husband had to make that decision while I was asleep. No one asked me anything once again. Um, So, you know, after going through all of this, I was very, very hurt, Um, didn't really know how to process any of the things that had happened. And prior to having the surgery in between there, my husband and myself, we adopted two children. So we adopted because I always wanted to have two children and adopt two. And, you know, I thought that it would happen at a different time. But, you know, here I was thinking that we were gonna get to have the second baby. And now I wake up and I don't have fallopian tubes. And again, I'm at you need in vitro. And all of this was caused because no one listened to me throughout the process. Mm -hmm. No one heard me when I said, hey, I'm in pain because he said had something been done earlier then I probably would have been able to save them. Um, So with going through all of that and trying to process everything that was happening I realized one day that I had two choices. One, I could be bitter and angry about what had happened, or two, I could use what happened to me to fill my fire to then go and be an advocate for others, Um, and that's what I decided to do. So in um, 2016, I became a birth doula, and after that, in about 2018, I started supporting people Uh, with fertility issues. And then in 2019, I started a a nonprofit to help people be able to afford fertility treatments and adoption. So I used what had happened to me to be able to then go and support and encourage others.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. It's such a powerful story. And I feel like so much of that is never spoken about the the fact that doctors don't necessarily listen to us, especially Black women. Um, they don't listen mm-hmm. to us, and it's it's terrible. Like that to not feel like people are hearing you. And I often tell my clients like if you are feeling something and a doctor isn't taking you seriously, go see another doctor, in another hospital. Like keep keep pushing because no one knows your body more than you. you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So becoming a birth doula is wonderful. I think doulas are amazing angels. And how do you utilize all the information that you have now with COVID? Are you able to do the birth doula work? Can you go in the hospitals?
1: Yes. So um, here in North Carolina, well, in Greensboro specifically where I am, um, they have a program in the hospitals where if you go through the onboarding process Mm -hmm. through the hospital, meaning that you're up to date with all your vaccines and you have gone through their orientation and all of the things that you need to do to be able to work there, then you can go into the hospital and support people. So I have gone through that and I'm able to support people in my area. And I also have supported people virtually as well.
0: Okay, nice. All right, so then what else do you say to women that are trying to get pregnant? Because when you say secondary fertility, that meant you had, you're having trouble with the second child, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yes. So, um, so yes. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, so secondary infertility is when you got pregnant pretty much on your own the first time, and then you try again and you're unable to conceive uh, naturally. Mm-hmm. So
0: how do you work with your clients for fertility? Are you doing like lifestyle changes, dietary changes? Like how, what's your philosophy around having a healthy body to conceive?
1: So with my clients, it's kind of whatever they would like to do. Um, It's, essentially like being a doula but for fertility clients because as a doula you know we support people whether you want to go natural or if you want to go completely medicated and you want an epidural as soon as you hit the door um so with fertility it's kind of that same thing however i do focus on making sure that people do um do all the things that they need to do to be healthy in general so we focus a lot on nutrition Making sure that you're eating well, sleeping well, reducing your stress levels. And if you decide that you want to go through reproductive assistance and you do IUI or IBF or something like that, then I'm able to support you by working with your doctor um, and making sure that you're doing the things that you need to do in that vein but if someone wants to conceive naturally then i'm also an herbalist um, so i help them (laughs) looking at their lifestyle and then i provide things for them like teas or tinctures um, that can help them to cleanse different parts of their bodies depending on what's going on with them So I take a very, very um, thorough approach. I make sure that I know exactly what's happening, that they've had their blood work done and we know what the issue is then. So we can try to focus on fixing those things that are happening um, just by changing what they're doing within themselves, because a lot of times people can change their health because the body is designed to heal itself so if you support your body in the way that you should then things do often improve um whether they're doing fertility treatments or not nice and you
0: most of your clients are you getting online for the fertility work so you can yes, see people most across.
1: of them are virtual
0: okay, so you can see people international yes nice okay so because this is the infinite love show we have our questions that i ask all the um guests and the first one is how do you use love in your work
1: um, I think everything that I do is based on love because um, being a birth worker can be difficult. You know, there are long hours. Sometimes a person can be in labor for days. Sometimes it could be, uh, you know, 12 hours. And a lot of times you get very tired and you have to be on call for a long time. So (laughs) being able to jump out of bed in the middle of the night when you don't feel like it or being with someone for three straight days and trying to encourage them while you're, you know, lacking energy and feeling very low because you're trying to be there for them um, is a lot of work. But because I've been through a lot uh, due to you know, the medical system, and because I really want to see people be able to have the birth that they desire and to be able to get pregnant if they desire to do so, then I make sure that I'm always there. I show up 100% and I give them everything that I have because I wish someone would have done that for me. Um, So I want to make sure that I'm being the person that I wish that I had.
0: Yeah, totally. And how does your work as a birth worker, how is it used to serve humanity?
1: Well, uh, being a birth worker is, you know, the start (laughs) of humanity. Birth is how we get here. (laughs) Yeah. Birth is how we enter into the earth. So um, I think in making sure that I'm supporting parents in starting this journey, I'm helping them to not only create healthier babies because they're creating healthier lifestyles and making sure that their bodies are functioning properly. Um, So that's one way, but also just being able to help them prepare for parenthood because being a parent is hard. And when you're starting out and you don't know what to do or how to take care of your baby, or you feel like you're not going to be a good parent and you second guess everything, having someone there to be able to support you is so, so needed. Um, So I think I'm giving people the tools that they need in order to be better for themselves, which will then help them to be better parents.
0: Beautiful. Do you do like postpartum doula work as well?
1: No, I don't do postpartum doula work, but after my clients give birth, I often see them twice just to make sure, number one, they're okay, and number two, that they have everything that they need. I like to tell my clients that I don't kick you out after you give birth. I'm still there in the background, kind of like a, a sister or a friend, so if you need something or you have a question, you can text me. I'm also a lactation educator. So sometimes people will have questions about breastfeeding or chest feeding um, and just how to do simple things. Sometimes it's something as simple as, hey, my baby just spit up. Is that okay?" Um, And other times it's like every time my baby drinks milk, it seems like they're getting a rash. What do I do? Um, So I'm just there to offer support no matter what it is that they need.
0: Yeah. And how old are your kids now?
1: My kids are 11, 8, and 4.
0: Nice. It's a handful of kids. You got kids. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so what does it mean for you to be a positive force of goodness in the world?
1: Hmm, What does it mean for me to be a positive force of goodness? I think that being a positive force of goodness is just showing people, um, you know, essentially what you would think about when you think about God or a higher power, just being an extension of that. And for me, that means that once again, I give all of myself um, to those around me. I make sure that everybody's okay. I am always making sure that Friends are taken care of, that family members are taken care of, and that I am doing positive things for the world. So I offer nutritional advice to people often and all the time. I make sure that everybody knows how to eat well, how to take care of themselves. Um, So I just try to show people how to become better. And I try to live my life in a way that makes people want to connect with me. So that then, you know, maybe something that I do or something that I can say will make them feel good about themselves or just make them want to make changes in areas where they may not be doing as well. So I try to live my life um, just, you know, in a way to make people want to be a part of it and be able to be open to me, helping them and then being, you know, um, a part of their village.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. And what do you do for yourself? Because it seems like you give a lot. So so what's your self care? <laughs> what's your self care routine?
1: My self care routine actually starts in the morning. Uh, and this is something that I've been doing for um, I want to say about a year. I started off and on last year. Um, but kind of got a bit distracted so I started over (laughs) um, later in the year and now I've continued into this year but what myself and my husband do is get up in the morning around five he gets up at 4 45 and he goes off to exercise with his personal trainer or whatever um, he's doing that day and then I will come into my office and I set up a little area where I can exercise meditate breathe breathe and journal. So I will get up and I will just be for a little while. I give myself two hours before my children get up and start doing anything just so I can have time to myself without them or (laughs) without anybody else. Um, I make sure that I go to bed on time. I eat well. I exercise probably about five times a week sometimes I might do seven days a week just depending on how the week is going um because exercise is important to me I love doing yoga it keeps me grounded um it keeps me relaxed and I also make sure that I get to bed like I said on time and on the weekends I will do things like face masks or um I recently got into vegan nail polish (laughs) so um time pampering myself um on the weekends yoni steaming i love that uh as well i just again get to lock myself in the bathroom mommy's busy nobody bother me my husband will kind of get them and take them away um pre-covid <laughs> i was able to hang out um with friends and you know kind of get to get away but now we're having to plan virtual uh, get together. So just really trying to make sure that I take out time for myself. Because if I don't, then I know that I won't be able to pour from an empty cup. So I do really try to make time for me as well.
0: That's great. So just because you you mentioned yoni steaming, and I'm a big yoni Mm -hmm. steamer and vaginal steamer. So can you tell the audience what that is? (laughs)
1: Yes. So yoni steaming is a very, very ancient practice. Uh, It's been done in many different cultures. But essentially what you do is you take some herbs, you can boil them um, in some hot water, and then you take the steam, uh, you take the herbs. Some people like to use it as like the tea and take the herbs out and then put it in the bowl. Other people like to have the herbs in the hot water in the bowl, however you do it. Um, And then you sit there for 15, 20 minutes, some people sit there longer, and you let the steam go into your vaginal canal and cleanse and, you know, fix the things that are going on inside of you. Um, So that's essentially what it is. And I think that it works very well. It's done wonders for me. (laughs) I enjoy doing it. It's very, very relaxing. um, And I'm sure that you probably feel the same way.
0: Yeah, I know. I love it. Um, I have a vaginal steam um, stool in my office that I have for my clients and I use myself. And it's really it helps to relax the whole pelvic floor. And so Mm -hmm. and the pelvic floor is the bottom of the nervous system, the end of our spine. So when you relax to help the whole pelvic floor, you relax the whole nervous system. And for me, everything in life, if you're not relaxed, it just makes it much more difficult and energy Mm -hmm. can't move in the body when it's tense and tight. And so the pelvic area is one of the most tense places most people have like, you know, essentially, like even if you're i mean men too, but for women, if we have any kind of trauma, if we have any kind of assault in that area, it's almost always so tight, and it could affect your menstrual cycles, it could affect pregnancy, delivery, sexuality, I mean, there's so much that can go off in that area. So, it's important to maintain the pelvic health for sure.
1: Wow. Yeah. And I really love that you said that um, because I get clients often that ask me, Hey, will Yoni steamy help with my fertility? And I'm always like, Of course, it, it will help. It definitely won't hurt. So, you know, you should absolutely give it a try. But now that you brought even more information, I'll, I'll be sure to share that with them as well.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. I mean, there's, it doesn't fix everything. It's not a, you know, a fix all, but it definitely can help, especially with fertility. And a lot of times fertility, at least with my clients, a lot of it is stress. A lot of the times it's a lot of stress and it's hard, like trying to get pregnant over and over and miscarriages and losses. And it's a lot for it's emotionally taxing. And I think a lot of people don't talk about that aspect. I mean it's physically taxing but it's emotionally taxing like a lot of the yeah. women are like it's just it's hard it's a hard journey and it's also a very isolating one because a lot of it most people don't are not talking about it their fertility struggles with their co-workers you know it's not right something you share you know so it's a lot of shame around it it's just it's a painful journey so i'm happy that there's people like you in the world that can bring more light and love into it so people can feel supported while they're finding their way to their growing their family
1: wow well thank you i do agree with you 100 um when walking through all of that one of the main issues is Um, having problems with loving yourself because you then start to question your ability to be able to give birth. Um, And a lot of people tie that to their worth. So if I'm unable to give birth, then I'm not worthy of anything. Um, It can cause problems. Like you said, with sexuality, why should I even have sex? I'm not going to get pregnant. Um, It can cause you to be depressed. It can cause a lot of anxiety. So it just really does a lot to the body and the mental state that you go into is just very, very dark. Um, And it's not a great feeling. And because people don't talk about it, it makes you feel like you're the only person going through it. I I really felt like a unicorn um, just kind of off by myself, like everybody else seemed to be getting pregnant. And here I was like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, you kind of start out and it's like, okay, we, we both have babies at the same time. Yes. Now you're having your second. Oh, oh, now you're third. And now you're fourth. And then with me, because my daughter had gotten so old, she started to look at me and be like, uh, what's happening? My Mm -hmm. friends are having siblings. What are you doing? And, um, you know, all the questions that you get from people who don't mean to say things that are um, just not very nice or who don't mean to make you feel bad with what they're saying can be a lot to deal with as well so trying to hold it together and not break down in front of other people and try not to hurt their feelings because they said something to you that hurt your feelings um and just function throughout the, the day and deal with everyday life is is very very difficult so You know, I think it's wonderful that you're supporting people in that way because they need love and light when walking through that. No one's dealing with it. Nobody likes to talk about it, especially in the Black community when we're two times more likely to be infertile. But that's not something that you hear about. You just see your older aunt who didn't have children and nobody ever says why. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, maybe... In my case, my parents, they only had um, they had one child, which was me, but my mom sof- suffered a loss um, before I was born, and it wasn't something that we talked about. I didn't know that she had an incompetent cervix until I started going through my own journey, and that's when she opened up. But you know, had that been something that we talked about before all of that, or had I known that I had aunts and uncles who had gone through that, it would have been a little bit easier for me, um, but because we just keep it to ourselves, I think mm-hmm. it really does a lot more harm than good because people feel like they're alone.
0: Yeah, I mean it's not something that's shared because of the shame of like not feeling like a woman, right? You you're where so mm-hmm. much of our, our identity as a woman is being able to reproduce and you're right. I mean, if I think these are conversations moms should have with their daughters. Like when I had I had really painful menstrual cycles and when I asked mm-hmm. my mom about it, she's like, "Oh yeah, it's normal. I had them too." And like it was she never explained to me like why you would I would get painful menstrual cycles. And I mean, of course she didn't know. You know, there's also the mm-hmm. education around women's health. We don't get taught things when we're little. Like I had no idea how big my cervix was, where's my cervix? What is a cervix? What's a uterus? What are ovaries? Where are they located? How big is it? Cause when it, you ask somebody how big where their wound is, they they like point to the whole pelvic floor. And I'm like, no, it's actually the size of your fist. The whole reproduction cycle is a tiny space. But we're not taught basic things about women's health growing up. So we have no idea. And then we kind of are we're kind of in the dark unless you're a healthcare provider like ourselves, most women have no idea about their health. So it's really important to educate, and especially black women. Black women, and I think that the black community doesn't learn, doesn't get to get educated on alternative ways of thinking about the body. And Mm -hmm. our diets are terrible. Like, we, you know, a lot of black communities live in food deserts or they're not even, they don't even have access to fruits and vegetables and antioxidants and all the things that would help their body heal. So there's a lot of work that can be done in, in the community to help educate women about their health and their lifestyle. Because a lot of fertility can be healed given the appropriate time frame, right? If you know this in your 20s, you can make a big difference. If But if you find out in your 40s, there's not much you can do at that point
1: yeah and then you end up you know 45 with a full hysterectomy and dealing with dementia when you're 70 because we don't know that all those things are connected and they don't tell us that when they take out your ovaries that you know that can mess with your brain nobody talks about that part So here we have, again, aunties and grandmothers who went through having full hysterectomies and then ended up with dementia or Alzheimer's and were just like, Hmm. it's just something that happens in our family. No, <laughs> it does not. Yeah, That's not, yeah, That's I not get, what
0: happens. My heart gets broken every time a woman tells me she has a hysterectomy. Like doctors are so quick to take out women's body parts. It's baffling. Like you have a cyst on your back. I' us do a hysterectomy. I mean, like they do it for almost anything. It's like you reach a certain age and they just want to pull out all your organs. And I'm just like, why are they so quick? It's like the number one surgery is a hysterectomy. And I'm just kind of like baffled. And a lot of times if they had the right diet and they had the right herbs and time and yoga and mindset, water, like they could have probably healed. And so I urge women that, you know, I've had, I had a client that had pelvic pain, extreme pelvic pain. And we were trying to figure out what was happening. Was that what was happening? The doctor scheduled a hysterectomy. And I was like, I don't know. I think you should go, at, go get more tests, go get more tests. And she did. And it turned out she had a really bad bacterial infection. Mm. And wow. she, she took some antibiotics. I got her on some herbs, blah, blah, blah. It cleared. And she was fine. Like They would have mm. taken out her whole thing. I was so yeah. upset. I was like, what are we talking about here? Like They were just going to pull out everything. And it wasn't even the right organ. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox (laughs) because I get so mad about it. I get so passionate about it because I'm just like, ah. So anyway, so back to the questions. (laughs) So what do you love most about your life?
1: Ah. I love that I'm finally um, doing what I feel like I was called to do. Um, I've always kind of felt that I was supposed to be a birth worker, specifically a midwife, uh, because, you know, that was just something that I, I had a desire to do uh, since I was a young child. But in the process of growing up and you know kind of thinking oh there's no way that I can do that I'll have to go to school I have to be a nurse I'll have to do all these things and I did go to school because I thought becoming a therapist would be so much easier than that right (laughs) no (laughs) and then I gave birth to my daughter and I realized that I did not want to be a therapist anymore and after having her I kind of just found my purpose um and now I feel like I'm walking in it and hopefully I'll get to um midwifery one day but like I really just feel like I'm doing something great for the world um and that I'm changing lives so I'm really happy to be where I am
0: that sounds great I love it how do you feel you receive love
1: I feel I receive love in very simple ways. I am, I think a simple person, I don't need you know, big, grand gestures of uh, affection. Um, I just really enjoy it when people, especially like my children, when they come in and say, I love you, mommy, or they give me hugs throughout the day. That makes me really happy. Um, I love apples. I don't know, I've had that love (laughs) my whole life, but um, I prefer apples to candy. So when my husband comes home with a bag of my favorite apples, pink lady, um, and he will just Kind of sit them on the counter and I'm like, oh you brought me flowers. That's our ongoing <laughs> joke. Like, oh you brought me flowers because <laughs> I don't like flowers, but I love apples. Um so you know little things like that really make me happy when he cuddles me um at night. I just feel really loved Um, getting text messages from my clients saying, oh, I'm pregnant or um, oh, you know, my baby is doing really well. I figured out this breastfeeding thing. So just knowing that um, what I'm doing is making a difference makes me feel loved. And then getting just small gestures from those people around me. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, I'm thinking of you or I love you or them doing something that shows that they care about me makes me feel loved
0: oh that's great okay and when do you feel the most love
1: I think I feel the most love when I'm at home in my own environment and I'm around those people that I love um I feel very content, very happy, um, free. So I I think I feel (laughs) most loved when I'm in my own space. I'm also an introvert. So like being outside of my space makes me feel uncomfortable anyway. (laughs) So being in my own little bubble makes me happy.
0: Wonderful. And last question is, where do you feel love has created a miracle in your life?
1: Uh, (laughs) That would be super funny. So it's so interesting. The thing that um, led to all of the issues in my life was also the thing that caused me to find my passion. So I think um, the thing where love created something beautiful um, was when my daughter was born, she she gave me my purpose. She made me a mom, and you know she allowed me to be able to be something and someone that I had never been before. I found my voice. I uh, changed as a person. I just became everything that I wanted to be, it seems after um giving birth to her. and I told her that yesterday, so <laughs> it's quite funny that you asked that question, um, yeah, I think that's really what it was. It was just, you know, now walking into a different phase of love, just something that I had never known before. Uh, Becoming a mom did that for me.
0: That's wonderful. I love that. Okay. So how can people find you if people want to work with you?
1: Well, they can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Sierra the BB doula. Um, And if you go there and you click on my bio on Instagram, it will lead you to my page. You can see my website and all those good things. Same thing on Facebook. You can find all my information there.
0: Nice. Well, thank you so much for being on the Infinite Love Show. It was beautiful to have you on talking about the birthing world. It's such an important aspect of society and I don't think it gets enough love and praise. And it's It's the most important part of, a, of being human, right? how we come into the planet so thank you for taking up the cause and living your purpose and helping women birth beautiful children into the world
1: thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed being here with you
0: oh great well sending you lots of love bye thank you you so much for listening please subscribe and tune in on tuesdays for new episodes for more information about me Please follow me on Instagram at Corinne J. Kamara and my website, corincamara.com,
1: Sending you lots of infinite love.